0: If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there with me, Nehemiah chapter 12, and we're going to be studying the first 30 verses today. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 30, but since we've been away from this study for a few weeks, uh, let me kind of remind you of what we've seen so far, and we'll, we'll do this quickly, but I want to get everybody up to speed and we'll get us all on the same page. Um, Nehemiah is a great book. I've, I mean, I've loved it, uh, at least you know, for my own personal study. And it centered around the rebuilding of those walls and gates of Jerusalem after the children of Israel were coming out of that time of captivity. We've, we've talked about this, you know, a fair bit. But they had been an idolatrous nation, unwilling to follow the Lord the way he had commanded. And so the Lord eventually just gave them over to their enemies. And, and around 606 BC, they were captured kind of finally by the Babylonians. And they spent 70 years in this time of, of captivity, and by, but, but then their their captors after this 70-year period, who, who at this time were the Persians, the Persians had taken over the Babylonians, they let the Jews begin to return to their land to reestablish their community and their culture there in Jerusalem. And there were a few waves of Jews that returned to the land, and historically you find those in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. So Nehemiah led what is known as the third wave, or the third group of, of Jews, back to Jerusalem. And he did so with the express intent to rebuild the city. He had received, we saw in chapter 1, he received a report from his brother of the pitiful shape that Jerusalem was in, and, and he was really burdened by it. And so he returns to the land, he gets permission from the king of Persia who he was working for, and he returns to the land and he leads a 52-day rebuilding project of the walls and those gates surrounding the city. Truly an amazing accomplishment, especially when you consider the intense opposition that they faced during that time. The enemies were relentless in their attacks. But it was a work that was glorifying to the Lord. And so the Lord blessed it. And they finished the project in chapter 6 again in 52 days. And, and then after that, we saw a shift in the book beginning in chapter 7. And the shift was because the building project was not only just about walls and gates. It was never only about that. It was also about the people. You see, the walls had to be set in place But that was so the people could then be established and established in community with each other and established in service to the Lord. And that's what started really beginning in earnest in chapter 8 because the word of the Lord was open. God's word was opened, was read. It was explained to them and the people saw how they had erred, how their fathers had erred, and, and God began to change them. And they began to repent. And they made a promise, a covenant to live according to God's word. And they began to bring some of the Jews that were living outside of the city back into Jerusalem and establish roles within society as they were reestablishing their culture. they began to apply what they had promised. And that brings us up very quickly, obviously, through chapter 11. And so today we start chapter 12. Now that the people are back in the city protected by the walls and the gates. They've, they've all been given their assignments, so to speak. What we're going to see this morning is it's now time to dedicate the wall. And that's what chapter 12 is focused on. And that's the theme of the chapter. It's dedication. They were dedicating the wall to the Lord. And this dedication that we're going to see beginning today and, and really uh, more fully next Sunday his dedication is ceremonial, kind of like what we would see today when, when say, a new building is, is dedicated for a specific purpose, right? We have ribbon-cutting ceremonies and groundbreaking ceremonies. So the, this is something along those lines. The children of Israel just happened to have a worship ceremony. Theirs was better. But it was a time of dedication with the intent purpose of thanking God For all that he had done. You see, the dedication of the wall was expressly tied to their thankfulness. It was tied to their thankfulness. And we know that because that is what we see in this chapter. And I think that's our I think we missed a a slide there, but but it's expressly tied to our thankfulness. Maybe not. If we don't have the slide, that's your blank. And that's what we see in Scripture. Because six times in chapter 12 alone do we find a form of the word thanks. We see it in chapter, or, or chapter 12, verse 8 it says, Moreover, the Levites, Jeshua, Benui, Cadmiel, Sherebiah, Judah, and Mattaniah, which was over the thanksgiving, he and his brethren. Then down in verse 24, and the chief of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brethren over against them to praise. And to give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, ward over against ward. Then down to verse 31, Then I brought up the princes of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, whereof one went on the right hand upon the wall toward the dung gate. Then in verse 38, And the other company of them that gave thanks, went over against them and I after them and the half of the people upon the wall from beyond the tower of the furnaces, even under the broad wall. And verse 40 says, so stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God and I and the half of the rulers with me. And then also in verse 46, for the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chief of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving unto God. You see, this dedication had a very, very specific purpose. And that purpose was to thank God for all that he had done, for all that they were able to accomplish, but not only that, for all that he was. And listen, this is so important for us today. This is so important for us to remember today because if we ever want to glorify God with our individual lives, if we want to glorify God through this church, if we ever want to build for his glory, we must have a thankful heart. That should be a consistent theme with us and it should be something that God continually finds in us. So let me just ask you, how thankful are you today? Because if you're not then I just want you to know, you are outside of God's will. There's no other way around that. The Bible tells us that. 1 Thessalonians five eighteen makes it very clear. It says, "In everything, give thanks." Colon. For this is the will of God, in Christ Jesus, concerning you. And I want you to notice the words, every thing. We are to give thanks in everything, consistently, all the time. That is God's will. And you might think, okay, I see that. I'm supposed to give thanks in everything, but, you know, I I can't give thanks for everything. And I've heard people say that. I've actually heard people preach it. It's not really possible to give thanks for everything the tragedies of life, for the bad things that happen to us, for missed flights on missions trips. I mean, we can be thankful people in general. We can be thankful in everything, just not for everything. That sounds good. It's just wrong. It's not biblical because Ephesians 5.20, in the context of understanding what God's will is, according to verse 17, says this, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I think there are some things we need to learn about thankfulness this morning. Because, listen, I don't know about you, but I want to be in God's will. And I want to glorify him with my life. I want to glorify him through this church. So I I think... Today's passage is no accident where we find ourselves. And Nehemiah chapter 12 is going to illuminate this topic for us because in this dedication of thankfulness, we're going to see what biblical thanksgiving looks like. And that gives us the title for today's message, which is the, very simply the display of thankfulness. Because we're going to see their thankfulness displayed in this passage in three very clear areas. And these areas are going to give us a checklist to examine our own life this morning and just to see how thankful we are. And, and therefore, whether we are inside or outside of God's will in this area. And we're going to start reading in verse 27. So we're going to jump down to verse 27 of this chapter because this is really where the details of the dedication begin. In the first 26 verses... Nehemiah gives us another list of names. This is his favorite thing to do, man. He he wants everybody to know who was there and and who was was part of the project and who helped. And uh, man, especially in the second half of the book, which is no coincidence, the second half of the book is dedicated to the rebuilding of people. And so we get the names of those people and there's some important things to note in there and even in these first 26 verses we are going to talk about those verses they do have an important role in understanding biblical thanksgiving but but for now um, we're going to read verses 27 through 30 there's a lot of those names that are very difficult to pronounce so I'm just going to make it easy on myself Um, but then we'll get into the study so Nehemiah chapter 12 um, starting in verse 27 the Bible says and at the dedication of of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all of their places to bring them to Jerusalem, to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, psalteries, with harps. And the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country round about Jerusalem, and from the villages of Nodophati, and from the house of Gilgal, and out of the fields of Geba, and As- Asmaveth, out of the- and the- for the singers had builded them villages Round about Jerusalem, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. Um, we come to you today wanting to worship you. We come to you today just wanting you to know how thankful we are. Lord, I pray that you use this passage today, use um, this word, your word today, to allow us to examine our hearts in this area of your will, uh, very specifically stated in your word, that, that your will is that we are a thankful people and, and not thankful for the material blessings of this life as much as just thankful for you thankful for the gift of salvation that we have in you, for the grace that you bestow upon us, and how you choose to use work in and through us for your own glory. And so, Lord, I pray that we all do that, that we all examine our life and line it up with what your word has to say. And if it doesn't match it, Lord, that we do the work necessary to change. Lord, I pray that everything that is said today is true to your word, and I pray that it's glorifying to you. Please use it in our lives this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again, this, this chapter starts, first 26 verses, uh, with this particular list of names. And, and this particular list is the genealogy of the priests and the Levites that came back to Jerusalem after the captivity. So this list is, is pretty specific to those, the high priests, the priests, and the Levites. So verses 1 through 11 covers the listing of the high priests that returned. So That's one through 11. Verses 12 through 21 is a listing of the priests in general, not, not the high priest, but the priest in general. And then verses 20 through 22 through 26 were the key Levites that had returned, and the that, that, that Levites had a very particular role with respect to the worship of the Lord and the temple um, and singing and all of that. And, and listen, all priests I think we've mentioned this before all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. So there were some other key Levites that weren't priests that came back to to help through this whole project of rebuilding the temple back in Ezra's day to rebuilding the walls and the gates with Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah lists all these key priests and Levites that returned to the city, but but here is, is really what you need to understand. The list in these 26 verses is not exclusive to those that came back with Nehemiah. It's not just the ones that were there in Nehemiah's day. In fact, it covers many years before Nehemiah. It goes back to the first wave. It goes back to the days of Jeshua, who was the high priest under Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the leader that brought back that, the first wave of Jews of captivity. It, you see it in the book of Ezra. And we know this from verse 1. Nehemiah 12, verse 1. It says, now these are the priests and the Levites that went up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. And so this was approaching, you know, 100 years before Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah's day, roughly 444, 445 B.C., you know, at the beginning of, of, of that book. And then Zerubbabel's day was roughly 536 B.C. So, you know, we're getting close to 100 years before Nehemiah. So as part of this dedication of thankfulness, Nehemiah takes the time to mention those that had been a part of the initial return to Jerusalem. Many of whom had been dead for many years. And this shows us the the first display of thankfulness and the first test of our own thankfulness. And that is having a perception of your place. For us to be truly be thankful like God desires us to be, we have to have an understanding And a perception of our place. And and this is relevant. This point is relevant on two different levels. So first of all, we need to understand our place in history. For us to be as thankful as God desires for us, we need to understand and perceive our place in history. You see, the truth is, when it comes to the Christian life, or or let's make it specific to this passage with, res- with respect to the religious life of the Jews. They were standing on the shoulders of those that had gone before them. That's what Nehemiah was saying. Listen, it wasn't just us. There were groups that came before we did. The temple had already been rebuilt. Things were in disarray, but they weren't as bad as they, they could have been. And and this principle of standing on the shoulders of those that have gone before us is true of us as well. You know, for those children of Israel to do what they were doing that day, dedicating and giving thanks for the rebuilding of the wall and the reestablishment of the city, it would not have been possible without those that had gone before. Without Zerubbabel, without Jeshua, without Ezra, who was still alive at, at, at the time of Nehemiah, but without those groups, those that had gone before had sacrificed for the work to continue for future generations. And Nehemiah recognized it. And in listing all of those names, he wanted the children of Israel that were there that day to perceive, to re- recognize their particular place in what is a much bigger story than just them or just that day. And I want you to know that as children of God, as members of God's family and as members of this church, we too are part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Now I've told you before, Part of the reason why this church is still around after 164 years and still believing and teaching the Bible is because there were those that went before us, that paved the way and stood on the truth of God's Word, too. And we meet in this building today because previous generations sacrificed and gave to the work of the Lord in this place. Listen. I think this is really important to understand. And I think many people don't give their life to the work of the Lord because they don't understand their place in history. But God wants us to. And, and this isn't even on your outline sheet, but if you, you, know, you have the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews chapter 11, you know, that hall of faith... He just lists the faith of all of the men that went before. and Then he gets to the end, which is my favorite part of the passage, and, and talks about those that aren't even named, but they're not even worthy to, 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 to even for this world. And then, so he does all that. And then do you know how Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 state, starts? Wherefore, because of that, we also are compassed about, surrounded. So great cloud of witnesses. So what, what should we do because of that? Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. We have a cloud of witnesses. There are men and women that have gone before us. We hold this Precious, perfect, preserved word because men and women have shed their own blood. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have it today. And of course, it's up to the Lord. Of course, God preserved it. Of course, God protected it. But you know what? He used men and women. And we stand here today and hold it and can read it, we can invest it in others because they went on before. You are here because of someone else. And since you are here, you may not even know that person, but since you are here, that means, and, and in context of what I'm talking about, that means you are insanely important and have an insanely important role in somebody else being here in the future. God doesn't have you here at this time in history by accident. Do you perceive your place? Do you understand your role? Because I want you to know unequivocally that you are important. Your service and building for the Lord are essential. And and not just for what God's doing here today and what we need today. If the Lord tarries, there is someone coming behind you that needs you to serve the Lord today. They need to see it. They need to be able to stand on your shoulders. So don't fail them. We are each just one person in a long line of believers in Christ, but each step is so important because God has chosen to use people. He's God, he could have done anything. But he's chosen to use us. We are his imminent creation. And he wants to use us to spread his word and glorify his name. And we do that one at a time, one person at a time. I mean, think about it. This is even how God chose to construct the Bible through people. One at a time. The Bible is not a book of abstract concepts, separate from relationships. We don't have a book of faith and a book of grace and a book of salvation and a book of the Holy Spirit. No. We learn about all of those concepts in books named after people and groups of people. We learn about all those precious doctrines because God chose men and women like Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther and Isaiah and Jeremiah to write about their lives and their service to the Lord. We learn about those precious doctrines because men like Paul who wrote to groups of people and churches like the Corinthians and the Galatians and the Ephesians and the Philippians as part of his relational discipleship ministry. The Bible is a book told through people. The Bible is a book told through people. In fact, 54 of the 66 books of your Bible are named after an individual or a group of people. We are the ones who systematize it. And that's okay, because in some ways it helps us te- teach those doctrines in a, more clearer, in a, in a clearer way. And a way easier for us to understand. But we should never do it with the risk or or with the danger of of losing the relational aspect of God and the role each person has in the church and in church history. Look at what God says in Malachi chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another and the Lord hearkened and heard it and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And God remembers and records those that fear him. We've talked about this, that, that God has records and God has giving records. God has all sorts of records. And he has records and remembers those that fear him and think about him and And those attributes are displayed today in our service to him. This is something he cares deeply about. He cares so much that not only are names recorded, he records some tears. Psalm 56, 8, David says, thou tellest my wanderings, put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? And listen, this is all because there is something very big about our service to him and our suffering for him. A book of remembrance, a bottle of tears in his book, it means that we are part of something bigger than just us. Do you realize that? I'm afraid many people don't. And as a result, they live their lives in their own self-centered circle, never considering those in the past that help them stand where they stand today, but also never considering the future and the impact that a life dedicated to the Lord will have on future generations. All this is to work together for God's glory, past, present, future. So first, we need to understand our place in history, in church history, and what God is doing throughout time through people. But then second, we also need to have a perception and understanding of our place in our humanity. In our humanity. And this is the balance to what we just talked about. Because each person is so important to all that God is looking to accomplish. Each person is important to their individual families and their homes and this church. But that doesn't mean that we should think of ourselves that way, that we're a big deal and that we're ultra important because we are just humans and God is not. We are part of the creation and he is the creator. So we need to understand our place with respect to him because because many of us live our lives like we are God and we're not. And, and, and we should not think too highly of ourselves, but instead be thankful for him, for who he is, for all he's done, for everything. This gets back to why the children of Israel were gathered together in Jerusalem at this dedication, which, listen, this, there's a key word here. It was to give thanks. So verse 24 says, And the chief of the Levites, Hashabiah and Sherebiah and Jeshua the son of Kadmiel, with their brethren over against them, to praise and to give, that is a key word, to give thanks, according to the commandment of David, the man of God, warred over against ward. You also see that in verses 31, 38 and 40. It's in the past tense, they gave thanks. You see, this is the one purpose why they were all gathered together to give something we can give to the Lord which is thanksgiving. They weren't there to brag on themselves. They weren't there to say, look at what we did. 52 days. Man, how awesome are we? They weren't there for that. They were gathered solely to praise and to give back to the Lord. What he did for them and through them, to give thanks for that. So so with that in mind, let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. So we're all gathered here today. We all gather here on Sundays. This is the time that we have set aside that we are dedicated to the Lord. With that time, with this time that we're together, dedicated to the Lord, what's your goal? I want you to ask yourself that right now. When you show up to church on Sundays, what's your goal? What, what, what are you thinking about? Let me ask it this way. Is it to get something or to give something? You know, sometimes people will say, you know, I didn't, I didn't really get anything out of that sermon. And, you know, listen, when it comes to my sermon, I hope people don't say that too much, but I'm sure, I know they do. I get it. But let me just let you in on a little secret. And this is just the truth. When I write a sermon, my first consideration is not what you will get out of it. My first consideration is, am I preaching what God's given me? Because I want to give him what he deserves before I give to you. And I believe that shouldn't be true only of me. That ought to be the focus for all of us when we come to church. What did the Lord receive because I was here? What did the Lord receive from you because you're here dedicated to a time set aside for the Lord? Listen very closely to what Jesus said to the woman at the well because there is something he desires. He says this in John 4, 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father seeketh such to worship him. He does desire something for us in this time. He desires something from us in this time. He desires our worship. He's always desiring that, but he's desiring true worshipers. And so if there are true worshipers, well, that means there are fake worshipers. And fake worshipers aren't here to to worship the Lord. Fake worshipers are here for themselves to get what they can get. But you need to know that God is seeking it from us. God is seeking worship from us every time we come together in this place. And he's seeking worship in spirit and in truth and there's a lot that we could say about that sentence alone but I'll keep moving. We don't have time. But listen, here, here's, what I, here's what I think. I believe that in today's age, in this age of Laodicea, there is far too much emphasis on what the church can offer to the people of God versus what the people of God can offer to the Lord through the church. Let me, let me repeat that. Let me repeat that for you. That's how much I love you. I believe that in today's age, there's far too much emphasis on what the church can offer to the people of God versus what the people of God can offer to the Lord through the church. And don't get me wrong. Listen, we do receive so much through church ministries and through church services. Hopefully God does speak to you through the preaching of his word. I do. I receive something every week just from fellowshipping with you. And we should. And God is so good. That's how he designed it to work. We should be here with our focus to give to him. But listen, he always gives to us and it's okay to come with our empty cups asking that the Lord fills them back up. That's the reality of life sometimes. And we should expect the Lord to speak to us, do a work in our hearts and change us. When people come that aren't saved, I pray every week that they would hear from the Lord and have their eyes open to the truth of his glorious gospel and receive salvation by calling upon him. But I'm talking about our focus. What are we focused on? And the focus of our worship service should first and foremost be on what we can give to him. And listen, when we come with that focus... We get so much back in return because you can never outgive the Lord. And he is so good and he is so gracious, but our attitude is important. And our focus should be to understand who we are in light of who he is and all that he's done and come and gather together in unity to thank him because of it, and give what little we have to him. There's not much we can give him. We can give him thanks. We can give him worship. The Psalms are filled with this truth. The Psalms, you know, that that meant to be sung, and they were sung in the Old Testament, in worship to the Lord. Listen to just a few of them, what they say. Psalm 92.1, says, this is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. And to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Psalm 100 verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Psalm 104 verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul. O oh Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all of his wondrous works. And while not a psalm, Hebrews 13, 15 speaks of the same sentiment. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And those verses are are a natural bridge to our our second display of thankfulness. So not only to to be as thankful as as I think we need to be, we have to have an understanding, a perception of our place, our place in, in history, and then our place in our humanity. But secondly, there should be a passion in your praise. should be a passion in your praise. Listen, if, if you are truly thankful for the Lord and who he is and what he's done, and you are here as a, as a true worshiper, then your praise will be passionate. And that doesn't necessarily mean expressive, because emotion is different than passion. But you should feel something. When praising the Lord. And maybe that expresses itself in an outward display, you know, raising of hands or whatever. And maybe it doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's all fine as long as it's genuine. He's just seeking a true worshiper. It's what what it is in your heart. Because you probably know as well as I do, there are many false worshipping, charismatic hand raisers in Christianity today. So it's not what it's about. The outward expression isn't what it's about. It's about true praise. It's glorifying to the Lord. It's about your heart. And that's what we see Nehemiah was setting up here in this dedication. Nehemiah chapter 12, look at verses 27 through 29. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, how how do they want this, this dedication to be? How do they want to express their thanksgiving? They sought out the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and with singing. With cymbals, psalteries, with harps, and the sons of the singers gathered themselves together, both out of the plain country, round about Jerusalem, from the village of, of Netafadi, and from the house of Gilgal, out of the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers have built a the village round about Jerusalem. So this second way the children of Israel were showing their thankfulness was through praise, literally and simply, singing to the Lord which was accompanied by instruments, by the way. I'll get to that in a minute. But, but honestly, this is such an important part of the Christian life and a way that God has prescribed for us to give him thanks. And, and we know this because it's something we see throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. I mean, obviously, you know, we would think of the Psalms, right? I already mentioned, those are, were meant to be sang. They were, they, those were songs. Jesus sang with his disciples. Just look at the praise in the book of Revelation. So not only while we're on this earth, but even it extends beyond that. You see singing as a, a praising the Lord in song all throughout the Bible. And it is something that is important because it is something that gets God's attention. For example, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 22, singing led God to deal with Israel's enemies. The verse says, and when they began, notice the progression and notice the order, when they began to sing and to praise, then something happened. And that was the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come up against Judah, and they were smitten. You see, God loves and he responds To praise of him. In fact, listen to the words of Psalm 22.3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And doctrinally, this, this gets to what true worship was in the Old Testament. And where it occurred, which was the tabernacle and then the temple. That was his habitation. That was his dwelling place. And then this prophetically points to the millennium, what we will see again in the millennium in the millennial temple. But as we've talked about over and over, today, where does that occur? Today, what's his temple? We are as the church. And God should find us, God should find this church as a place of praise and worship because that is a comfortable place for him to inhabit. And listen, listen, that's where he gets glory. Because when that happens, people are drawn to him. Because look at what Psalm 40 verse 3 says. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and then tr- shall trust in the Lord. There's a progression. And listen, when guests come in, maybe you're a first-time guest here with us today. Man, I hope this is true. I hope you come in here and you hear us singing and you, you hear how we talk and hear how we thank the Lord and you're drawn to him because of our worship of him. Is that true? I don't know. I hope so. That's how it should be because God should find a comfortable place to inhabit. And we know in the book of John, when he is lifted high, what's he do? He draws men unto him. Is that working in this church? It should. And singing and praising and being a true worshiper of God is all part of that. And singing and praising the Lord is a gift to the Lord. It's, again, something we can give him. Something we can give him as part of our thanksgiving. And then that glorifies him. As people see it. And they're drawn to him and begin to trust him. And listen, I, I do want to say we have freedom in that. You know, there is a segment of, of fun, particularly fundamental independent Baptists, not only Baptists, but that would not fellowship with us because we have drums and we have electric guitars and we have everything else up here. And, and they would complain that many of the songs we sing Uh, aren't hymns, and so they wouldn't fellowship with us. You know, music is quite controversial in churches today. I think it's no coincidence because Lucifer was the leader of praise, but that's a whole different topic. And I understand it. I understand preference. But the fact is, when it comes to music, the issue with God isn't style, it's substance. And, And listen, I love... I love old hymns. I do. I love them. But I love those that place the emphasis on glorifying him. And guess what? There are current worship songs that do that as well. And on the flip side, there were plenty of bad hymns that place the focus on what we can get versus what we can give. You just don't know them because churches didn't sing them. They were out there. You did find them. And what most people complain about today relates to style and not substance. And so, you know, one complaint you'll hear, for example, are things like, you know, repeat phrasing in choruses. And, you know, we're just singing the same thing over and over. And listen, I get it. That is not necessarily my cup of tea. But let me ask you something. Have you ever read the Psalms? That were meant to be sung, in case you forgot that? Psalms 136, for example, says his mercy endureth forever 26 times. There are others that say more. So it's not about repeat phrasing in and of itself. It's not even about instruments. We saw in verse 27, I mean, it it wasn't drums and and I get the argument. We're not even going to talk about the argument. But, But there's instruments and here's why. Because music is important too. If, 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 if the words were all that mattered, then we would speak songs to the Lord. But we don't speak them. We sing them. Because that's what the Bible prescribes. Why? Because God wants there to be a passion associated with the praise of thankful people. And of course there's always a risk for emotion to get involved. And it and, and if it's just emotion, it's fake worship. It's not true worship. And of course there's a risk for that, but that doesn't, just because there's a risk of something, and, and we're to be balanced in all of it, doesn't mean we, we still should do it the way the Bible prescribes. So I say all that to just say, don't let your preferences rule your praise. And then let them steal the joy that God wants to give you through it, as you are giving to him. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And, and there's a companion passage of that many of you know in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, that basically says the same thing, and it sets the context as being in the will of God and understanding the will of God. You see, this is all connected to our attitude of thankfulness. Thankfulness to the Lord. We're singing to him. We're singing to give him something. That's what those verses are talking about. You know, there's a story in the Bible of David when he brought back the ark to Israel. And he was praising the Lord and his wife, uh, Michal. She despised him because of it. She didn't appreciate his passion. It's found in 2 Samuel 6. Look at verses 14 through 16. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window, and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She despised him in her heart. Then jump down to verse 20. It says, And then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, Came out to meet David and said, "How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself." And David said unto Michal, "Was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father, and before all this house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than thus." And I'll be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child on the day of her death. And and we don't have the time to dive into all of this. And and there is a lot going on, and there were a lot of reasons why she despised David going back to her father Saul. It isn't just because she didn't like the way he was dancing, but but that's what God chose to tell us about. And 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 listen, she was, you know, she didn't love all that. She didn't like the way he was praising. But God did. And in that sense, she was caught up in things that didn't matter and forgot what did matter. And because of it, listen, you, what we see is God's response in this is she was barren for the rest of her life. And again, there are reasons why she despised David other than than what's just presented in the the surface of this text. But I use this as an example because I believe that, that we too can get too caught up in things that don't matter, especially when it comes to things like music. And those people can talk themselves into spiritual sterility because they've cut off passion in their praise. And it's a danger. Because again, what we're doing, we're doing for the Lord. It's not for us. Our praise time isn't about us. It's about him. It's what we can give, not what we can get. So we all, each of us, have different preferences in our music and styles that we like better than others. That's all fine. All I'm saying is don't let your preferences steal your praise and your thanksgiving. Because there can be dire consequences for that. When we're singing during our praise time, we're all to just be singing to an audience of one. It's it's not for us. We can all be edified by others singing, and we should be, but that singing is not for us. Wayne and his team are not performing for us. They are leading us to sing for the Lord, period. And we're gonna learn next week that their singing was loud. We'll talk about it next Sunday, but look at, look at verse 42, just as a sneak peek. Verse 42, and it lists some names there, and look at the, the last sentence of verse 42. And the singers sang loud. I don't know what else to tell you. The Bible says it. And then at the end of verse 43, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. They were, why? Because they were singing loud. They got after it. They were passionate about it. So let me ask you are you? Are you passionate about it? Is there joy? Do people hear joy? Because that, look at the end of, listen, I'm, I'm stealing what I'm going to talk about next week. But it doesn't say, so the singing of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. It's not what it says says the joy. The joy was heard. Do people hear joy when guests come in and we're worshiping the Lord? Do they hear your joy? If not, maybe you should just check yourself and see how thankful you really are. But we got to get to one more and we're almost out of time. So number three. The, the third display of thankfulness, the third checkpoint for us is there should be a prioritization of your purity. Look again at verse 30. A prioritization of your purity. It says, and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and purified the people and the gates and the wall. And, and, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week as well. But but here's all I want you to see. We're just going to cover this very simply and very surface level today. But with respect to the prioritization, verse 30 was before the ceremony, including the singing and praise. So what we saw is they're bringing in the singers from all around, from Jerusalem, from outside of Jerusalem. They're bringing them all in. They're getting it ready. But before they do any of it, they do verse 30. They, they purify themselves. They start this whole shindig off by purifying themselves before the Lord. And for the children of Israel, this purifying process goes back to Numbers chapter eight. The details of the purifying process are covered over the entire chapter, but I just want you to see verses 21 and 22 this morning. Numbers eight, verse 21. And the Levites were purified and they washed their clothes and Aaron offered them as an offering before the Lord and Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And look at these first three words of verse 22. And after that, After the purifying, and after that went the Levites to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron and before his sons. For the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so did they unto them. You see, it wasn't until they were purified that they began their service in the sanctuary. And listen, we do it so wrong today. Like, okay, this is our time. Dedicated for us as a family to come together and be unified and serve the Lord. And what do we do? Most of us, many of us, myself included, we come here in a mess. And and listen, it's okay. It's part of the reality of life. And God uses it. And we hear the preaching of the word and say, you know, when we begin to think, you know what we should demand? I should purify myself. And praise the Lord. If that's when it comes, praise the Lord. It's better to get right than whenever it is, never get right. But do you see the picture? (laughs) Purify yourself before you come. And then when you get here and we're all here together, we can in unison give thanks to the Lord and glorify him and worship him and let his word soak in our lives. And it just, it just brings our attitude to an even better place. Then we don't have to think, Oh, woe is me. No, we can say, Oh, how great you are. And then we, as a body, we people, we go out from here motivated. To serve and to sing unto the Lord and people hear our joy. and They're drawn to him because of it. Does that describe your life? Does that describe your church experience? Does that describe Sundays for you? Does it or does it not? There's something to this. The reason why we live impotent lives is because we don't do it the way the Bible says. And we decide how our Christian life looks. No, the Bible has a way. It's laid out very clearly. We just have to follow it. And when we do, God will use it. God will use us there is something beautiful to this and and we don't have time to 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 get into all of this but i believe there is a disconnect in our understanding of this stuff and therefore our thankfulness and 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 we'll skip psalm 24 it's a, there's the speaking of the millennial temple that's prefigured in Nehemiah but there's a doctrine there that, that it talks about verse Psalm 24, verse 4. Just look at that very quickly. He, speaking of Jesus, this is a millennial picture in the temple. He had clean hands and a pure heart. And there's a picture there for us of the purity that God desires for us. There's an inward purity. The the inward purity is a pure heart. There's an outward purity, clean hands. And our inward purity only comes from the blood of Christ the righteousness of Christ. But the outward purity comes from a living a life of practical holiness, walking in the spirit. And that is necessary to glorify the Lord. Because we know God doesn't use dirty vessels. Second Timothy 20, or 2, verses 20 and 21, but in a great house, they're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor if he cleanse himself, sanctified, set apart, and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. The, if you're meet for the master's use, you're an honorable vessel, it means you're clean. And we get that from, from just walking in the spirit and and the washing of the water of the word. We know that process. And then when we do that, when we walk in God's spirit, that leads to thankfulness. Because that's what we, when we are truly able to recognize what that inward purity cost him. You see, when we are living, when we're walking in the spirit and living with those clean hands outwardly, then we get a sense of, it's like, man, the, the inward purity that we have because of him, it cost him everything. He did that for me. He did that for you. And then we're able to focus on him and not ourselves and be thankful. You know, Second Chronicles twenty-nine. It's a great chapter. It's King Hezekiah when he first begins his reign. Right there, how he starts it in verse three. In the first year, he in the first year of his reign, it's King Hezekiah, in the first month, is right at the beginning. Opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And then look what he did. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. And I like that. I like that wording. And this was preparation for worship. But is there not a need today to carry forth, to carry out? And carry forth the filthiness out of this church and out of your homes. Uh, we need to clean house today and purify ourselves and get right with the Lord and walk with the Lord, and then you'll be thankful. Listen, holiness is a prerequisite to thankfulness. And even when you go back to Second Chronicles twenty-nine, the order is emphasized in verse twenty-seven. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also with the trumpets and with the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. So there needs to be a prioritization of our purity. And that's how thankfulness is truly displayed. And when we can get right with him and we can come here together and worship him together, as he inhabits this place, as he inhabits our praise. Man, what a beautiful thing that is. God set it up right. We're the ones that mess it up. We're the ones that mess it up. So are you thankful this morning? Do you understand your place? Do you understand how you are part of something bigger than just you? Offer a God who gave his life for you. And do you come to this church to give rather than to get like I said, it's certainly OK to receive. You should even expect to receive. We can't outgive the Lord, outgive the Lord. but it's just so awesome how he set it up, but our focus should be what we can give him. And when you're here, do you praise Him? Do you praise the Lord? Does your thankfulness pour out in song? Are you passionate because all of God has done for you? And do you keep yourself from sin because of it? Do you walk in the spirit first so that the rest comes naturally? How is your thankfulness displayed or is it displayed?